Well, I was going to preach um, another sermon in my series on the benedictions of the New Testament. Don't worry, I'm coming back to that. I had it all, almost all ready. That's where I was going to go. Um, but the events of this past week in our country compelled me to preach instead from Psalm 2. Now, uh, what am I talking about? Well, if you keep up with these things, you know that two fairly significant things happened this week in our country. One, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States made a decision about the Defense of Marriage Act. Have you all been tracking with this? Some more than others, I'm sure. Where they basically struck down uh, portions of that in such a way that they did, in fact, open the door for further um, advance of the of so-called same-sex marriage and everything else that then would come with that. Um, some of us were very discouraged about that. Another thing that happened this week, um, probably not many of you tracked with this. Jeremy, or I'm sorry, Brandon Chastine told me about it because he's from Texas. But in Texas, the Texas legislature had almost passed, or they were just about to pass, a legislation that would essentially shut down all um, abortion clinics in the state of Texas, practically speaking. And uh, it was filibustered. The, the uh, vote had to take place by 12 o'clock midnight. The woman who was filibustering, one of the, a Democratic senator, I guess, uh, I guess you got worn out and stopped at 11.30. But then um, an unruly mob came into the uh, legislature and, and uh, kept anything from happening until 12.03. And so they couldn't pass it. Um, you hear about these things, and those are just the last week's examples of this kind of thing that happens constantly. And it's very easy for us to be discouraged. Some of you face it personally, the opposition against Christ, against the church, against you personally as you represent him in the world. And it's very easy to become discouraged and depressed. But discouragement and depression never lead to anything good. They never lead to godly, faithful action, and they never lead to prayer. And therefore, we need to be reminded of the truth of Psalm 2. Here is the truth. I'll read Psalm 2 for you in a moment, but here's the truth you must remind yourself of constantly. Here's the truth. The truth is that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is, in fact, the one true living God. And he is the maker, ruler, redeemer, and judge of the world. The truth is that the Bible is, in fact, his infallible and altogether authoritative word. The truth is 
that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is King of kings and Lord of lords, and all authority in heaven and on earth is his. That's the truth. That is the nature of reality. That's the way it is. Even here in America. Follow along with me as I read Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. This psalm is a song, and so you have to think of it as divided up into verses. It's actually divided up into four verses, three verses each in, in your Bible. So four stanzas made up of three verses. The first stanza, verses one to three, is the nation's rage. Look at what it says. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? So he starts out with a question. Why? Now, it's a funny question because we all know why. <laughs> this, is, this is what unbelievers do. This is what pagans do. This is what the nations do. This is what the heathen, to use the old word, do. They, they rage against God. It's the most perfectly natural thing in the world for unbelievers to rage against God. This is what we did. This is what I did. This is what you did. Some of you here, sitting here today, are still doing it. This is what pagans do. This is what unbelievers do. It's the most normal thing in the world. We should not in any way, at any time, be surprised by this. Things that are surprising uh, can be discouraging because we thought something else would happen. Well, what made you ever think that the nations wouldn't rage against God? This is what the nations do. 
But on the other hand, the question why is very uh, uh, appropriate. Because this is the craziest thing in the world. Opposition to Jesus Christ, to God, is insane. It makes no sense. It's, it's totally irrational. It's, it's, it's crazy. You have the nations, you have unbelievers, you have uh, all the people of the earth who don't know God raging against the one who made them, the one who gives them life and breath and everything else, the one who gives them food, the one who gives them joy, the one who makes them able to enjoy the good things that God has put in this world, the one who sent his only son to die for their sins. It makes no sense at all for them to rage against him. The most natural thing in the world, the craziest thing in the world. Why? It just doesn't make any sense. Why? Do the nations, are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. This is violent, unsettled rage. This word uproar is the word that's used for an ocean that's in a storm. Waves swells craziness. This is not um, educated, enlightened, articulate, thoughtful, tolerant, intellectual discourse. It's rage. It's an uproar. It's hatred. It's intense. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together. It's not just the mobs, that's verse 1. It's the mighty men. It's the kings. It's the rulers. It's the political rulers of the world. Plotting, scheming, conspiring together. This is the ultimate conspiracy. It's not a theory. <laughs> this one is real. They take their stand. And they take counsel together. They deliberate. They talk. They argue. They, they scheme. They plot. How are we going to pull this off? What are we going to do? How can we make this work? Now, what is it that they want? The kings of the earth, the, all the political leaders, kings, rulers, presidents, governors, congressmen, senators, Supreme Court judges, justices, all of them. What do they want? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed against Jehovah and his Messiah, Christ. Now, get, get the picture in your mind. Use all of your imagination, if we have any left, and picture this in your mind. 
the kings of the earth. Powerful, mighty, glorious, the rulers, the generals, the robes, the uniforms, the gold, the wealth, take their stand. This is an impressive scene, isn't it? They take their stand. The armies are behind them. All the powers of the earth that they command behind them. They're taking their stand. They're taking their stand. They're taking their stand against the Lord. How does one take a stand against the Lord? How does that work? Well, here's what they say. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, do you know what a fetter is? Kids, do you know what fetters are? It's not a word we use for It's handcuffs. You've seen pictures of people being let off uh, to jail or to trial. They have their orange jumpsuit on and they have fetters because their hands are cuffed together and then there's a big chain that goes from that and it goes down to a, chains that go between their ankles. Have you all seen this? And all they can do is kind of, you know, they ain't going anywhere, right? They're, they're in bondage. This is what it is, a fetter. And cords. Now, what are they talking about? What are the kings and the rulers and the governors and the presidents and the Supreme Court justices and the congressmen and the senators talking about when they get together and say, let's cast off, tear off their fetters and cast off their cords? What are they talking about? They're talking about the laws of God. They're talking about the laws and commandments and ordinances of God. And they're saying to one another, as kings, as rulers, as civil magistrates, we don't want the laws of God. Let's cast them off. And again, this is not some reasoned, well-thought-out thing. This is violent, right? It's tear their fetters apart. Let's rip it to shreds and cast their cords off from us. Now, does that surprise you? Did it surprise you when the, when the Supreme Court of the United States did what they did this week? Did it honestly surprise anyone? Why would you be surprised about that? This is what they've been plotting to do all along. It's what they will continue to plot to do. This is nothing new. Let's cast off their laws. The laws of Jehovah and his Christ. The weird thing is, the laws of God actually, are they, are they fetters and cords? Is that how you think about the law of God? Bondage? Restraint? What the law is, is the law of liberty. 
Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The law of the Lord is sweet. It gives liberty. It gives freedom. And yet, when unbelievers see the law of God, all they can see is bondage, fetter, cord, rope, chain, something to be ripped up and cast off. It's a good indication of where you are as a, as a man before God. Are you, do you see the law of God as bondage or as freedom? There certainly are people in this room who see it as bondage. And you stand in company with the kings of the earth and the rulers who say, cast them off. Cast them off. But God's laws are good and kind and beneficial and helpful and freeing and sweet. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. That's the stand they take. That's the first stanza. Second stanza is God's response, verses 4 to 6. He who nervously, anxiously paces around in heaven, I wasn't expecting that. No, he who what? Sits. I mean, he doesn't even bother to stand up. He sits. He sits. In his calm authority, he sits. Now, what's he sitting on? Uh, a rocking chair? A bean bag? <laughs> He's sitting on his throne. He who sits on his throne in heaven laughs. <laughs> this is the most absurd scene you can imagine. All the kings of the earth in their uniforms and their robes and their gold with all their armies all arrayed taking their stand. Yeah, we're going to take our stand against the Lord and his anointed. When I came in this morning, there had been a swarm of ants. I think they were uh, citronella ants. David, my brother, used to be an exterminator. <laughs> Goes well with being a police officer. Before he was a police officer, he was an exterminator. <laughs> and uh, they were all over. And I think... Someone killed him. My son, I think, killed him with bug killer. But you'll see them crawling around. 
just little, little ants with wings taking their stand against the raid or whatever it was. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So God laughs. He laughs at them. This is absurdity. What is the word that's used in verse 1? Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a, a, a real serious, heavy, oh, powerful thing? What is it? Vain. What's vain mean? It means nothing. Literally, it means empty. It means worthless. It means totally and utterly and completely doomed to failure. And so God laughs. He doesn't just chuckle. This isn't just, a, you know, the cherubic smile of someone who's mildly amused. He's laughing, and he's scoffing, and he's hooting, and he's snorting. <laughs> Seriously? The kings of the earth taking their stand against me. You're going to cast my cords. <laughs> this is great. This is, this is a hoot. He scoffs at them. He disdains them. He makes fun of them. The kings and the lords and the presidents, the governors, the judges, the senators, the congressmen, who are the dog catcher. They all stand up against the Lord and his anointed. And he laughs at them. But it isn't funny for long. Picture this. Have you ever had a good, a good laugh? You know, the kind where you, it starts hurting. You can't breathe. It takes a while to get your composure. Then you start laughing again. And then you, okay, you get, then you, get, <laughs> then you, then you, can't, you keep losing it. And then your ribs start hurting. Ah. <sighs> And finally, okay, finally, okay, now it gets serious. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. Anger, fury. What does he do? Does he even stand up? What's he do? What does he do? He speaks. That's all. That's all he has to do. All he has to do is speak. Jesus Christ slays his enemies with a sword that comes out of his mouth. That sword is this, the very thing that they want to tell you, you can't use. There's good reason why they don't want you to use this. Somehow, they know what it is. 
You understand? They know what it is. And they're smart enough to know that if you bring this out, it's all over. <laughs> it's the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharp. So he speaks. He speaks to them in his anger, and he terrifies them in his fury. They're scattered around. They've, they've, they've drawn up in battle array. They've made their lines. They've, put up, they've, dug, they've dug themselves in. They've made their defenses. They're ready to fight. And all he does is speak to them. They're terrified. They scatter. They're gone. What does he say? Then he will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury, saying, verse 6, but as for me, I see what you're doing. <laughs> but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I have done this. I didn't need anyone's help. I didn't ask anyone's permission. I didn't check with the Supreme Court first. I didn't run it past the Congress. I didn't take any polls. I have established my king. I have installed him. I have set him there, and he's not going anywhere. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. What is Zion? Are we really talking about a mountain somewhere in the Middle East over there? What's he talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. Hebrews chapter 12. He says, verse 22. But you, believers, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. This king has been installed on his throne on Mount Zion, the church. Jesus Christ, exalted as head over everything for the sake of the church. This is God's answer to the raging of the nations. This is God's answer to the plotting and the scheming of the rulers of the earth. This is God's answer to all the rulers and all the judges and all the justices and all the presidents and all the senators and all the congressmen and all the kings and all the emperors throwing off the law of God. He says, nice try, but too late. I've, I've installed my king on Mount Zion. So, so what? What's that got to do with anything? Why is that 
an answer to the kings of the earth, the political leaders, fighting against God. I thought that you had kings of the earth, and then you've got the church. So if Jesus has been installed as king in the church, what's that got to do with kings, and governors, and princes, and rulers? Well, Jesus tells us in the next stanza. The next stanza, starting in verse 7, 7, 8, and 9, the third one, is King Jesus himself proclaiming the decree of the Lord. Now, if you notice in your Bible, you have quotation marks. You've got several people speaking here. You've got the nations speaking, the kings speaking in the first stanza. You've got God speaking in the second one, Jehovah, the Lord. But as for me, I will... I have established my king. Who's speaking in the third one? It's the king. It's Jesus. And here's what he says. It's the son. He says, I will surely tell, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, the king, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. This is a decree. This is an edict. This is a declaration with absolute authority from Jehovah, a decree. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. This is what the Lord has decreed. He said to me, Jesus Christ, the Father, said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is quoted in the New Testament in reference to Jesus. We know this is what's going on here. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, the father says to the son, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. He says, God the father has decreed, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When did that happen? What's he talking about? He's talking about his coronation. He's talking about this decree of God that set him as the king on, in Mount Zion. He's talking about his resurrection. We know this because of Romans 1.4. Romans 1.4 says that he was, Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ raised from the dead, established as king on Mount Zion, the church. So what's the big deal? Why should the kings of nations care? What does it have to do with them? Because here's what it says. Ask of me, the Father says, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. The nations. The things over which these kings rule. Those nations. The nations that rage. God the Father says, anything, ask anything, ask anything. 
and I'll give it to you, Lord Jesus, King, King Jesus. Ask for the nations, and I'll give them to you. Did he? Did he ask for the nations? Did he say, eh, no thanks. I wouldn't want to do that. That sounds too uh, political. And let's just have the Lord's Supper and let the nations have the nations. Let the kings have the nations. And I don't want them. Why would I want to ask for the nations? Is that what he said? No. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. And he asked, and of course, he got it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations. They're mine. Now go take them. Right? So where are the ends of the earth? When you read that and you think ends of the earth, what do you think? Ecuador. What? New Zealand. Timbuktu. Yeah, but what is, what is he talking about really? He's talking about Washington. He's talking about here. We live, of course, at the ends of the earth. This. Did anyone know about America when David wrote that psalm? The ends of the earth. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about everything. But he's not just talking about those remote, dark, uncharted. He's talking about here. This is the ends of the earth. This is his possession. He asked for it, and he got it. And all that we're seeing is the kings, the rulers, taking their stand against the Lord and against his king, shaking off, trying to tear off the fetters. Why would we be surprised? They know what's at stake. They know he's a king. What's it say? He says, the Father says to Jesus, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Just like that. Someone want to use that now? Does someone want to put it back together? Would you like to try? Shatter them. Shatter them. Just like that. So, what? Well, the fourth stanza. Here's the warning. Here's the application. The kings and the judges of earth are warned. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, 
show discernment. Take warning, O chief justices, O judges of the earth. This is the king, the real king, speaking to the kings. He is, after all, what? King of kings. He's the king's king. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. All authority that we have among men comes from him. So why is it that we as American evangelical Bible-believing Christians who are supposed to believe this, why is it that we get so bollocksed up, so wrapped around the axle, so uptight. Why is it that all anyone has to say to you is, what? You, you mean to say that, that, that we should get our laws from the Bible? That's all they have to say. And we're like, um, uh, why, well, yeah. huh. All they have to say is, what? You, you want the Muslims to enact Sharia law? Is that what you're saying? Same thing, right? No. The pro- Islam has the distinct disadvantage of being false. Of course, I don't want Islam or Sharia law. That's idolatry, and it's false. There is a king in heaven. There is one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the maker, redeemer, judge of the world. His word is authoritative. Jesus Christ, his son, is the king. Why do we have to pretend that's not true? in this country. Says who? Our Constitution? Do you really think that Jesus trembles before the Constitution? Really? Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. This is what the king says to the kings of the judges, the rulers of the earth, in their offices as kings, judges, and rulers. He says to them, you better worship with fear and rejoice with trembling. Beautiful picture of piety right there and of true worship. Why? Well, he says, do homage, verse 12, literally kiss, kiss the son. Kiss him. Kings, rulers, judges, kiss the son. Why? That he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. He might stop laughing. 
And then this blessing, how blessed are all who take refuge in him. The place, the only place to find protection from God is where? In God, the Son, Christ. Blessed are all who take refuge. There is a storm coming. A storm of wrath and judgment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, there are three types of person in this room. I'm going to close with this. Some are, in fact, raging against God. You're doing it even now. Some of you, maybe you're children of this church. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you just have kept up the, uh, the show. But inside, you're raging against God. You hate his word. You see his law only as bondage. Nothing sweet about it, nothing free about it. You're raging against God. All of your attempts at shaking off his law are vain. Empty, foolish, worthless, pointless. You are doomed. Repent and kiss the sun. Those who do not bend must break. Just like that. Just like that. He will dash you to pieces. Shatter you. Some here are depressed and and discouraged. You're Christians, but you're depressed, you're discouraged, you are in retreat, circle the wagons, batten down the hatches, go for the foxhole, let's just ride this out and maybe things will get better, but probably not. You're discouraged and you're depressed. But God, thankfully, isn't. What's he doing? He's laughing. If God doesn't immediately stretch out his hand in judgment, his hand of power against the kings and the rulers and the judges, it's only because he's busy laughing them to scorn. So let him laugh. Don't don't rush it. Let him laugh. He'll be done laughing. But in the meantime, hey, let him laugh. Are you more holy than him? The nations belong to King Jesus. Every inch to the remotest part of the earth here is his. When they have done their worst, these kings, these rulers, these presidents, these justices, these congressmen, these senators, these mayors, these councilmen, when they've done their worst, when they've taken their stand, 
Christ will have a church in the world and that church will be glorious and triumphant. Praise his name. Some are raging against God. Some are depressed and and discouraged. Some, I hope, are hopeful. Here it is. And you just say, okay, okay. I'll believe that. But you need to translate that hope into prayer and to action. Not just sentimental, wishful thinking, but prayer and action. When God decreed this to the Son of God, the King, he said, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Even he had to ask. And so what are you doing? What are we doing? Are we asking? Are we asking for Bloomington, for Indiana, for this country? Ask of me. It's already his. It's already his. It's his possession. So ask, and then act in faithfulness with the word. What is your authority? Who do you believe? Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would come in power with your word. Rebuke us, Lord, for our faithlessness and our complete lack of trust in your word and in the authority and power of it. Father, uh, forgive us for our treason of bowing our knee to other kings than King Jesus. Forgive us for our fear and our weakness. Forgive us for our discouragement and our depression about the state of things in this world. Help us, Lord, to share in your laughter as you laugh them to scorn. Help us to share in your speaking as we use your word like a sword. Fill us with hope. Let us worship with reverence, with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Let us be wise. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.